Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Charles, CTO of GoDaddy, and they discuss how Charles uses experimentation in his teams to further agile development, challenges of running simultaneous experiments across many development teams, and how aligning your motivation with company needs is a key to success. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I want to talk to you about engineering. When I was talking with the team, we always get together in our group production meetings and try to figure out like what's the unique angle for every episode. And when it came up for yours to talk about experimentation within a company, I thought that was really interesting because we've done you know 500 plus episodes and we've never had an episode about experimentation. And so I was like, wow, boy, do I have a lot of questions. So if it's cool, I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's great. And, and a colleague of mine said that experimentation is like crack for engineers. And I think a super simple way of thinking about it for me, when we're talking about agile software development, I mean, you have the, the product owner sitting you know, with you every week or two weeks or whatever your sprint cadence is, telling you what they want and giving you feedback on what you've delivered. And that works great if you have a single customer. Uh, when you've got 20 million customers out there, kind of different regions of the world, different countries, different cultures, you know, using your products, it's really hard to be able to do that. And it, it's also, in some ways, almost unfair to expect like a product manager will have interpreted like the entire uh, you know user population in a you know, perfectly accurate you know way. And so. You know, really, we've been using experimentation to what I would call furthering, you know, agile development. It gives us a way upfront stating a hypothesis. Hey, if we deliver this feature, we make this faster, this is the behavior that we're going to get in the end. We go off, we do the work, we run the experiment and we prove, hey, it worked or it didn't work. And I think most engineers, that's kind of what you want to know is, did my work have value and meaning, you know, to the customer? And so I, I think that's really the way I think of, you know, experimentation at a very high level. Can you give me an, a more specific example of an experiment? Yeah. So at this point, we're running hundreds, you know, of experiments somewhere, you know, in the range of like a, a classified experiment that you know runs, you know, a control, you know, and a treatment, um, you know well over a hundred, you know, a month and many more than that, you know, in various different versions, you know, where we may have less, you know, rigor, you know, around them. Um, and it could be something as simple as, um, changing text or, you know, putting or not putting an ad, you know, on a particular page, or it could be something, you know, much more complex and, and more involved. And, and right now we're actually looking at how do we take even bigger swings, multivariate tests, uh, you know, across lots of different, you know, products uh, and, and areas. But I think it's helpful to think about it, you know, in a way that you're not trying to change too many things all at once, at least to get started. I think you can get more advanced as you go. But I think just the rigor of thinking about it as an experiment in terms of what is your hypothesis? What is the metric that you're going to use to determine whether your hypothesis was correct or not? That's a reasonable amount of work just to come up, you know, with um, those basic building blocks, and then obviously going off and doing the work. And I'd say the overall philosophy that we've had 
is most similar. If you've heard of the British cycling team and their story, the coach basically said, we're just going to be 1% better at everything. So it wasn't that they were they had the best bikes. It wasn't that they had the best training program. It wasn't you know they had the best logistics or whatever, but they just focused on making lots of changes. And those accumulated into a world-class, you know, winning cycling team. And I think it's helpful to think of it that way. It doesn't mean you don't take big swings as well, but you've really got to get the rigor of running and experimenting and the experimental mindset. And so it's, it's yes, you there's a technical aspect here, but it's also just cultural in terms of how are we going to run experiments across the product and engineering teams and really making sure that that layers up into the business and the, the P&Ls and, and things like that. So th- that's really, I think, the big change that's required to deliver experiments. And again, I mean, there are lots of different examples and we're trying to run it as a program such that we share those experiments and we go through now the top 10 experiments that we run uh, each month uh, that we want to share with the rest of the company. And so I think another big and important part of this is just sharing the learnings. So if one team runs an experiment where they remove advertisement from a particular type of uh, page, that other folks see that and understand why it was or wasn't successful. And of course, half the learnings here are not the successes. I mean, we'd like for all of them to be successes, but half the learnings are in the failures or learning opportunities. Because ultimately, when you make a hypothesis and you're wrong, Um, there's a lot of good learning that usually comes with that because obviously the customer reacted in a different way than you expected and it's important to understand why that is. How do you teach new engineers this? Is this something that you actually teach them in onboarding or training or do you pair them with somebody? How, How do they learn this skill? Yeah, that's a really good question. And on our journey, I think we started with the right path, but I think there have been some significant learnings along the way. We actually started this path with experimentation by trying to figure out how to deliver better machine-learned models in a number of different areas. And we found that most teams didn't have a good way to collect the metrics to determine whether that model was improving or you know not in the areas that we were deploying them. And so it really, in some ways, set us back in terms of We've got to figure out a way to measure you know, these as experiments such that we can prove whether this you know, investment, whether this new ML model is actually being successful or not. And so we went down the path of looking at where we were running experiments, how we were collecting data, and really just set out on a process to build a tool that we would be able to collect the data and, and assess you know, whether... Uh, we were successful or not. Um, and so ultimately that, that was a big, you know, kind of first step for us. And over time, uh, that's evolved. We've built a common tool that allows us to run experiments across user experiences, which I'd say are generally speaking a little bit easier. There are commercial tools out there you can kind of plug in, uh, but also API and other types of backend tools, especially that's where we're you know, potentially running an ML model that makes a different decision based on a bunch of different inputs. And so that's an area that we've now consolidated onto. It's actually, technically, it's two tools, but you know, really uh, a homegrown one you know, with some additional uh, components from other uh, providers. And so having that tooling in place certainly helps the engineers to instrument. Um, you know, we've got feature flags so that you can turn on you know, a particular feature or test for you know, time duration 
and then collect the data at the end. And so that was really on the engineering side. I, I think the interesting thing about experimentation is it really takes a partnership you know, with the folks developing products. And I'd say that's where we ended up focusing a lot of our time, you know, was on that cultural change because in some ways, you know, some folks initially, I think, saw experimentation as threatening. Like you're telling me what to do, you know, as opposed to you have the freedom to define experiments, define the metrics, you know, define the outcome that you're looking for. And so it was a big shift, you know, for us as a company from that product perspective. And, and so in some ways, I'd say that the engineering side of this equation, and, and it was partially that's where we came from, was easier, uh, you know, because, okay, you're just building tools, you, you're snapping all the bits together such that you can operate uh, an experiment. But ultimately, it's bringing, you know, the product and the business along for the ride in terms of their understanding and, and you know, willingness to format their work in that fashion, as opposed to, here's a product roadmap with features, you know, A through Z, and we'll do them in this order. Uh, and we may shift them a little bit, you know, based on learnings over time, but it, it's really, it kind of upends that whole uh, method of developing products. How do you propose an experiment? Do I just knock on your door and say, hey, Charles, got this idea, want to run an experiment? Like, Or is it, can any engineer do it? Is it a specific team that's just the experimentation team? How does that work? Yeah, so GoDaddy has you know well over 100 development teams that are all working on different aspects of GoDaddy. Everything from you know marketing pages or campaigns through uh, domain products, website building products, hosting products, commerce and payment products. And so it really has to be something that is completely federated such that any team can basically work you know, with their you know, product you know, manager to come up with an experiment. And th- that is something that I think is also beneficial here is that I think using this format allows uh, tighter collaboration between the product and engineering teams to come up with a proposal you know, for uh, their area. And so I'd say a lot of the initiative uh, comes from the product teams. Some of it also comes from the engineers, but it's basically federated out such that if you're working on a particular team, you can say, I have a, b- a different idea of how we can help our customer. Maybe it's make more money, reduce the latency, which will have X effect. They can go off and run that experiment. And then basically we bubble it up and we share the learnings from those experiments you know, across the company such that if one team finds that, hey, you know, reducing latency from four seconds to two seconds or whatever it was had a really positive benefit on customers, that's learnings that we can share and, and hopefully get other teams to uh, implement those experiments in their own areas as well. You mean people like things that work fast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's definitely one of those areas where I like to call it the illities, you know, like scalability, uh, dependability, you know, all those things where I think you know, engineers have a unique capability to really drive improvements uh, in those areas. And yeah, I think security is a feature, stability, reliability, performance, those are all features. And I think, you know, in our research with customers, they tend to rank really high up there. And yeah, sometimes you're looking for, you know, think about features as here's a capability to make something easier or whatnot. But yeah, being reliable, being secure, being performant, those are all major contributors to customer satisfaction. 
And then is there one team that manages the tool itself? Yeah, so we have a team that has built you know, our internal tool. We call it HiveMind because it, it, essentially it, it really is the hive mind you know, of all of us building experiments, collecting that data, learning you know, from the collective intelligence. And we've also built the mechanisms to collect you know, the data from across all the different systems such that we can then funnel those metrics you know, into that system. Nice. That sounds pretty cool. And so then you have this interface where you can literally look across your entire org and see every single experiment that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I think that's really the benefit. And it took us some time. And I'd say in some ways it's a journey because there's always some pressure, you know, to do something different. Maybe, you know, a particular team wants to move faster. But obviously there there's statistical significance. And so the faster you move, the less statistical significance you're probably going to have, the fewer data samples you're going to have because you want to move faster. And, and so I think we are working through, I think, those kind of in real time, you know, right now in terms of what's the right trade-off between getting learnings kind of at, at any cost and you may have less precision and having high precision uh, and, and you know, learning from those and having a definitive answer. And, and so... We've kind of erred, I'd say, close to accuracy, but you know, backing off a little bit, such that we also make sure that, that we're continuing to move you know, forward with lots of new experiments. But it is an interesting trade-off because you know, we're talking about you know, probabilities and statistical significance and not absolutes. And one thing that we had seen early on with some teams is that they would say, hey, I, I got this winning experiment that will generate $2 million. And I got this other experiment that will generate $2 million. And I have this other experiment that will generate $2 million. But the total of those experiments didn't add up to $6 million. And, and so I think uh, you also have to be kind of careful about the rigor with which you run those experiments such that you have reasonable assurance that you, they're adding up in the right trajectory, even if the, the precise accuracy may not be you know 100%. Have you had to teach people about things like statistically valid sample sizes and how to do that, or is it kind of baked into the tool? It is baked into the tool, but um, there's definitely a, a good learning process here in terms of what is best practice. And so we've created a community, especially with our product team members, to help you know, coach along that path. And uh, we've, you know, created kind of like an internal certification that, that basically gamifies, you know, the process such that the best run experiments, you know, get a higher status. And again, I think that that's then in turn turned into, you know, our ability to share those, you know, more broadly in these corporate wide events where we, we talk about the experiments that we're running and the learnings, you know, as well as, you know, the underlying the probabilities, you know, of, of the different experiments. Nice. So this internal certification seems like you guys are a teaching company. If you have systems set up like that, I think this would be a good time. Are you hiring currently? Uh, we are hiring. Yeah, and I think in a number of areas that are specifically related to data, you know, both the collection, you know, as well as uh, in the products where we're expanding use of experimentation, you know, right now, and and that's something. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting environment right now. I, I think none of us know exactly which uh, path you know the overall you know economy will traverse. But I think something that we've seen you know repeatedly is that people are starting small companies, 
almost irregardless, you know, of the macroeconomic constraints. And and I think what's interesting about GoDaddy is that there are a lot of companies that address the traditional small medium business market, which I think most people classify as having 20 employees or 200 employees or something kind of of that size and scale. Um, and obviously, if you've got 200 employees, you can probably write reasonably large checks to a systems integrator or a enterprise software company or, or whatnot. Whereas I think m- most of our customers from a, a numerical perspective, number of customers, obviously we have some pretty big customers as well, but many of our customers are small, almost what I would call proto businesses in terms of they have one employee or, or you know a, a half an employee or, or something of that nature, such that our average is actually significantly under 20 employees. And obviously, there are many that have 20, there are many that have 200 and, and above, but we have so many customers that have one employee. It's a solo entrepreneur. I think it's an interesting space for us to be in that I think the competitive offerings in that market are basically commercial consumer tech, um, such that, I mean, you can obviously use Gmail or, you know, maybe Facebook for uh, certain things, but ultimately, we service you know that market, and uh, we become essentially like the IT department, you know, for those very small businesses. And that's really our focus: is to pull the different pieces together, such that there's a more integrated offering for the the business, the seller. And I think what's interesting for us too is that we're we're not necessarily just looking at how do you sell on Amazon or how do I sell on a particular marketplace, but rather, how do I sell across different marketplaces? And I think most very small companies, they want to do a couple things. I mean, one, they want to get identified and found. So it's kind of, here I am, I'm hanging my shingle up, you can find me here. And then the other is they want to transact. And and so really, our focus is helping really small businesses do both of those things. And so it's a little bit you know, a Robin Hood analogy isn't a, a perfect one, but it's really trying to provide tech you know, for very, very small uh, companies. And something that I think we've seen in past economic downturns has been that more people tend to, you know, kind of step out on their own, even when larger companies, you know, are not, uh, you know, growing. And so that's an area that I think uh, we have a kind of a, a moral, you know, mission. Uh, to really help those very small businesses get up and off the ground and find customers and get business. Yeah, we've talked about mission a lot on the show. I last time we were talking about it was with this company called Release. They're like a environments as a service type company. And the guy I was talking to, his name is Tommy, pretty cool dude. But they were very, very mission driven. Their whole thing was like enabling developers to add more value to the world. And when you have the GoDaddy mission, what's like the sentence that you use around the office? I don't know that I have a sentence, but I guess I have, you know, a story. Okay. I was helping out my local county, the economic development office during the first months of COVID. And, you know, what I saw was a lot of companies that were in a period of upheaval in terms of they were used to having people coming into their restaurants or shops and they had their point of sale terminal and they were able to take orders, but all of a sudden people weren't coming in and they had to scramble like crazy. And, and most of these folks are not software developers. Um, they're not necessarily even like the most technical savvy people you know, in the world. This is what they need to do to run their business. But I mean, their business is 
making things or cooking things or, or doing things and not futzing around, you know, with the technology. And, you know, I think it was really at that point where it became super clear to me what the value of GoDaddy was. And it was to pull those pieces, parts, you know, together in a way that allows them to focus on their business and, and not everything else. And we've subsequently gotten into uh, the point of sale terminal business. It allows you to purchase something, you know, in a store. It allows you to, you know, sell that same product, you know, through your own online store or, you know, sell it through a number of different, you know, external marketplaces. And I think that's really the benefit of our mission is helping these, you know, customers out with it. Cause I don't see anybody else really stepping in and trying to help them. If you've got 20 employees, 200 employees, yeah, sure. There are lots of companies out there that'll help you. But if you're very small and just getting started or you have, uh, you're in a smaller environment, that's something I think that we can help with. Well, I'm a fan. I mean, I've been a customer of GoDaddy for over 15 years. I buy a lot of domains. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember signing up with you guys. I must have been 12 years old and I'm 34 now. So more than 15 years. And the one thing when I was hearing you talk about experimenting and running different experiments, I was like, that makes so much sense because every other time I log into GoDaddy, the interface is different. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully mostly better. Yeah. And it makes sense too, honestly, now that I was thinking about the different changes and I always ask myself, you know, from an engineering perspective, oh, I wonder why they did this and I wonder why they did that. And the moment I heard that like the average customer that you have of your 20 million customers has 1.4 employees... I go, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. There are probably a lot of these changes I saw, some of them were probably to reduce support issues. Like one thing that I noticed was the DNS settings kept getting moved farther and farther back. Because all I do in GoDaddy, just so you know, like all I do is I buy a domain, direct my DNS to Cloudflare, and then go do what I want to do. I just like GoDaddy. I know I can buy domains other places, but I just, I don't know, have it, right? And slowly but surely that <laughs> button like jumped farther and farther back and then it required like additional things and after it went to like you having to check a box to like double confirm or whatever that you were changing this I, I said to myself I bet you people are changing their DNS settings and they don't know what they're doing because they're googling stuff and I bet you that's creating a ton of support for them and that's probably why they did this yeah I, I think that that's fair I think the other thing is Again, if you think about like somebody running a pizza store or a barber salon or something like that, why should they ever know what an A record is? It's like this most arcane bit of information that, of course, we all know what it is. We know how it helps, but it's really just an impediment to kind of getting the job done. And so we actually, um, we uh, wrote an IETF standard around a thing we call Domain Connect, which basically provides a mechanism to create templates. So if you're, you know, hosting your email with Gmail, there's a Gmail template. And that's something that works at GoDaddy actually works with a number of other uh, DNS providers, you know, on the internet. I think at this point, almost all major service providers, you know, are supporting uh, Domain Connect. And it provides an easy way for you to just click a button and say, yeah, my email is here, my site is there, whatever, click a button. If you haven't logged in to GoDaddy or whatever you're your DNS provider is you have to log in, but you just click apply and it'll do the error checking for you to make sure that if you're going to stomp on some other you know, template, it, it warns you, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Um, it'll also, if you don't own the domain, you can buy it. It simplifies a whole bunch of things that you know customers you know otherwise can easily get lost. And, and so, I mean, yeah, maybe there's a, in some ways there's a cost 
you know, of resolving that. But I think more importantly is from a customer experience perspective, that's a really crappy experience. If you're going through and trying to figure out what A records are and Googling all this stuff, it's like, that, that's, it's needless waste of time of the customer. And so if we can simplify that, it's in our interest to do it. But, but I think more importantly, it's a better experience for our customers. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I love the product. More fun questions for you. Do you know where the name GoDaddy comes from? You know, I, I know that it was the founder and I think his head of marketing at the time. It was one of those kind of just funny names that they came up with that, that sounded catchy and, and it kind of took off from there. I, I think like you had mentioned, when you start a company, you know, essentially the first thing you do these days, I think, is try to find the domain name. Because ultimately you're not going to file paperwork to incorporate with a name that's already been, you know, taken. Or, or you're going to get some really long, you know, elaborate uh, permutation of it. And so I, I think, yeah, naming companies is its own exciting you know, phase and naming a product you know, as well in a larger company. I, I think you know, looking for the domain name and being able to find alternates you know, quickly, that's an area that we spend quite a bit of our time focusing on because 70% of the time, the domain name that you want to find isn't available. And so that means you're going to iterate a few times to come up you know, with a different name that is available. And so, yeah, obviously at the time GoDaddy was founded, it was... <laughs> more likely to be available than it would be, you know, even today. But I think it was a similar type of process. Yeah, I noticed your tools did get more advanced for domain picking. When you type the domain in that you want, it'll provide all these different alternatives now. And they're actually like, at first, everybody kind of had it, right? When it was emerging and it was whatever, it was okay. But then they started to get really good. Like actually coming up with some really creative things and understanding the name better and the context better. And so I was pretty impressed about the improvements there in the past two or three years. Yeah. And it's an interesting area because, you know, most search engines are really, they're an inverted index of available, you know, documents. And, and so you're just basically sorting and ordering those in an efficient way. Whereas finding a domain name is a very different problem because essentially you're looking for, you know, kind of the, the the blank space. It's like you want to find the thing that isn't there. Obviously, we look at what other people, you know, their permutations of they don't find it the first time, what do they look for the second time? Uh, and what do they end up buying to basically help, you know, short circuit, you know, for everybody else, uh, you know, building models that you know, incorporate those different, you know, methods. And, and obviously doing that in different languages, you know, different regions. I mean, there's there's quite a lot of complexity that goes into that. It's exciting. What's what's the next thing that's coming that you can talk about? <laughs> that's a good question. In some ways, you know, the way I think about, you know, technology, you know, is it's in service of the business and the business is in service of its customers. And so, you know, it, it kind of flows in that order. And so a lot of what you know, we're focusing on right now is figuring out how to order the technology in a way that better services, you know, those customer segments. And in some ways, it's like a giant um, software engineering project in that if you're building a particular system, you think about how you componentize certain things, divide that work across multiple teams. And when you're doing it at, you know, a company of our size and scale, um, you've got to take a different tack to approaching that. So I think looking at you know, how we do domain-driven design, you know, and define those domains and what the capabilities are and kind of 
order things in a way that we get out of each other's way. I, I think that's a really important thing you know, for us to be able to do to continue to grow and evolve as a company. And then ultimately, I think that there's huge opportunities for us just leveraging the data in smart and intelligent ways. And whether that be running experiments, you know, or helping customers directly, I think we are continuing to evolve, you know, our machine learned models uh, to be able to help customers make their way, you know, through our systems more effectively to help the folks that we have, you know, answer phones, answer them in more effective ways. Obviously, we have marketing campaigns and running those more effectively. There's lots that we can do to help using the data that we already have available to us. And so it's a matter of making sure that it's in the right formats that we can build models on effectively. Can we talk about leadership for a minute? Sure. I'm watching time and I want to make sure I pick your brain on this real quick. You're the CTO of one of the most known brands on planet Earth, arguably in the universe. How did you get to where you are today? Like, if you have to look back, obviously it's it's probably more than one thing. But when when you're talking with the next generation of technology leaders, and they're like, you know, Charles, how did you do that? How did you become, you know, CTO? How did you get to that point in your career? When you look back, what do you think got you there? You know, I had a mentor a long time ago tell me something kind of pithy, and it was something to the effect of, "Good things happen to people who continue to be useful," and I think it's it's easy to say, hey, I want to do this or I want to do that. But I think when you're talking about a company, you kind of have to look at what does the company need? And I think, you know, it's ideal when your motivation and your skills line up with what that you know company wants and delivers. But I think I, I've seen kind of counterexamples where folks are really focused on building a thing that they really want to build. But it may not line up with what the company really needs. And so I think you really have to ask yourself a question. You know, first is making sure that you understand what the company needs and not just like in this particular moment in time, but even looking out six, 12, you know, 24 months into the future. And I think lining yourself up with things that will help drive the company in a better direction. Those are the things that I think you really want to focus on. And and sure, I, I wanted to be a CTO in my career for probably a long time. I, I don't remember exactly when that original nascent thought you know, occurred, but I always focused on making sure that what we were doing was lined up with you know, a company, a benefit to the company you know, and our customers. And so I, I think that that's maybe the, I guess, advice that I would uh, give folks is to take that look at what the company needs. And obviously it is... If you're in a company where you can't find that, maybe you need to find you know some place where you can. But you know, otherwise, uh, I think that that's the most you know productive path that I I can see to evolving. Nice, nice. I like that. Yeah, it's very important to understand how the actions you take and the work you do brings value to the customers because that's why they give you their money because you're solving some problem for them and that's how you get your paycheck. So. It's like the circle of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Charles, we did it, man. We made a podcast. How do you feel? Yeah, it went by fast. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.